Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rich Sports Talk. And it is official. The Philadelphia Eagles and the city of brotherly love earns their first Super Bowl championship after pulling off one of the greatest upsets in one of the greatest Super Bowls ever. And we talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. A lot of people, including myself, were wrong about this game. We thought that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and to their credit, their offense showed up, but it was the Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Foles, and Doug Peterson who earned one of the most improbable victories in any Super Bowl over one of the greatest franchises in the history of the league. They did it the hard way, and of course, they are now the Super Bowl champions because of guts, because of great planning, but more importantly... It was their ability to adapt to crisis. Now, when we look at the road to a Super Bowl, there are a lot of pivotal moments. And without question, the biggest pivotal moment for the Philadelphia Eagles happened in Los Angeles on the field at the L.A. Coliseum when Carson Wentz went to the ground after tearing his ACL. And from that standpoint, despite the Eagles owning the best record in the NFC, it looked like their season was over. Despite having a veteran quarterback in Nick Foles, who the next week looked very impressive against the New York Giants, in the last two games, the Philadelphia Eagles struggled to move the football at all. What does it take to be great, especially for a long time, in any profession, in any league? With the way the world works, where our world is moving faster and faster every single day, it's becoming more about the ability to adapt. Who can adapt to new technology? new business systems, new clients, and of course, new ideas. One reason the New England Patriots have been this great dynasty in the NFL is their ability to adapt, their ability to change how they draft and bring in players, but more importantly, how every year their system evolves. When Doug Peterson was handed a situation where his MVP candidate quarterback and their franchise quarterback went down with an ACL injury, and his backup quarterback, despite being a veteran, was struggling, the Philadelphia Eagles made a decision at the very beginning of this playoff that changed their fortunes forever. Doug Peterson looked at what Nick Foles could do. He looked at his quarterback. We have to change what our identity is and how we function. The run-pass option, RPO. A system that, if you remember, worked very well under Chip Kelly when Nick Foles only threw two interceptions as a starting quarterback. When he looked like he could potentially be a franchise quarterback under Chip Kelly was when he ran the run-pass option with LaShawn McCoy because of Foles using his above-average mobility and his quick decision-making. It changed the complex of how this offense worked. Against one of the best defenses in the NFL, Minnesota Vikings, this Eagles team lit them up. They moved the ball up and down the field. And despite handily beating the Minnesota Vikings, most of us, including myself, still thought the New England Patriots would find a way. Bill Belichick would find a way to slow down Nick Foles. Now, the funny thing is no team really slowed each other down last night. Both teams combined for over 1,000 yards, a Super Bowl record. But what Doug Peterson and offensive core Frank Reich 
who I'm amazed did not get an opportunity to be a head coach despite the work he has done with Carson Wentz and now Nick Foles, and he will be a head coach sooner than later. How they adapted this offense to overcome crisis and put their team and their quarterback in a position to win. That game was the culmination of adapting or dying. We've all heard that line in Moneyball when Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean says adapt or die. Well, it's the same in the NFL, in any profession. It's about adapting to situations in crisis. The Philadelphia Eagles were handed a situation where most teams would crumble, losing their star quarterback, an MVP candidate, and despite having the number one seed in home field advantage in the playoffs, had a backup quarterback who was a journeyman who couldn't hold down a starting position in Los Angeles the year before. But despite all this, the Philadelphia Eagles made the decision that in order to beat the New England Patriots, they had to do something that everyone has failed to do with New England. Be aggressive and be successful. And what I mean by successful is when you're given opportunities, convert them, and they did. We all talk about that play in the game. That fourth and goal where the Eagles scored that miraculous touchdown. But what about when they were trailing by one point in the fourth quarter? A fourth and one on their 45. Doug Peterson made the decision. Didn't even have to call a timeout. They were going for it. He knew the situation. And he knew he had to be aggressive to beat New England. He put it in the hands of his quarterback. And later on that drive, they found themselves in the end zone. Courtesy of a touchdown pass to Zach Ertz. The Eagles knew that to beat the New England Patriots, you had to be aggressive. What Jacksonville failed to do, what Atlanta failed to do in last year's Super Bowl, and what Seattle did a few years ago in the Super Bowl, they let off the gas pedal. They got a lead, and then they got conservative. They didn't attack the Patriots because they didn't want to make a mistake. However, when you don't want to make mistakes against the Patriots and take your shots, you become predictable and predictable plays into Bill Belichick's hands. He understands predictable. He plans for it. He understands the situation, and he understands that on his sideline, he has the best quarterback in NFL history in coming from behind, in overcoming those deficits. He knows if you get conservative and try to be cute, he can take advantage of it because he has number 12 on his sideline. But the Eagles didn't do that. They didn't play conservative. They were aggressive. They understood the situation. They hadn't allowed the Patriots to punt all night. There was one punt in the entire game. The way to beat the Patriots was to hold on to the ball and score as many points as possible. It was a situation where Doug Pearson realized Tom Brady was going to move the ball against his defense, and he didn't want to give him an easy opportunity to do that. The Eagles made the decision weeks ago. They made a decision that to beat the New England Patriots, they were going to have to be aggressive, and more importantly, they were going to have to put the ball in the hands of Nick Foles. And you have to give Nick Foles credit. He took advantage of a defense that was in chaos because of a benching that I will get into later with Malcolm Butler. But what did he do? He stood in that pocket, and behind arguably the best offensive line in football, They, in my opinion, have, if they don't have the best offensive line in football, they're number two. 
you could flip a coin between Dallas and Philadelphia, but this year, the Philadelphia Eagles had the best offensive line, and they manhandled the New England Patriots last night. New England had no pass rush. Nick Foles wasn't hit, wasn't sacked, had all the time in the world to throw the football down the field. They ran the ball effectively. Jay and Blunt right down the Patriots' throat and played the time of possession. When the Eagles had a chance with a 22-12 lead going into the halftime, they could have come out in that second half and tried to be cute. They could have just said, we're going to run the ball and try to eat up clock. But what did they do? They were staying on the gas pedal and continued to be aggressive and attack the Patriots' defense. And that is why they were holding the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the night. And even with this perfect game plan, it had to come down to the defense that needed to make one play in this game. A defense that can force the Patriots to punt all night made the big play in a scenario which we've seen a thousand times. Tom Brady with over two minutes left, plenty of time, timeouts to work with, within striking distance. And be honest with me, Eagle fans, even with the way that team was playing, you thought to yourself when Tom Brady had that ball, a 38-33 to deficit, and plenty of time on the clock, you were praying, well, if he scores, I hope he scores fast so we have time to kick a field goal. Because you've seen this movie before. You saw it in last year's Super Bowl. Tom Brady, under pressure, driving down the field. And you have to give the Eagles defense credit. Because all night they couldn't get Brady off the field and allowed him to throw for 500 yards. Yet when they needed a play... One individual, and in all these games, you need someone to step up. A Super Bowl hero that you've never really heard of to make a play. Maybe it's a middle linebacker with a tackle. Maybe it's a no-name receiver with a great helmet catch. But for the Philadelphia Eagles, that player was Brandon Graham. Even with Brady at the 7-yard line, 8 points ago and no timeouts, you still felt he was going to get down the field. He had one shot to throw it to Gronkowski, and luckily for Eagles fans, it fell to the turf. And it was a frustrating game if you were a Patriot fan. The missed extra point. Going for it on 4th and 5 at the 35-yard line with a 52-yard field goal indoors. Missing that chip shot field goal. That's 7 points right there in a game decided by 8. And you have to give credit to the Philadelphia Eagles. They played a tremendous game. They had the best offensive game plan I've seen work against the Patriots. And they moved the football. But even that perfect game plan was just enough to beat Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Think about all the obstacles that Patriot team faced. And they were one throw away from tying the game. Brandon Cooks leaves early in the game with a concussion. Brady's best deep threat. The most 20 yards receptions since Randy Moss was a New England Patriot. He left early. Their defensive player that played the most snaps, Malcolm Butler, was benched for disciplinary reasons. Reasons we will probably find out more about this week. And their best cornerback and the defensive player that played the most snaps was on the bench. Tom Brady drops an easy conversion on a drive where the Patriots were moving the football. And if Brady wasn't strip-sacked there and holds on to the ball in that sack, there's a good chance they could still be driving down the field. 
Think about all of the things that went wrong for New England in the special teams game, a defense that gave up nearly 500 yards of total offense to the Philadelphia Eagles and Nick Foles, that didn't have a sack the entire game. And that's only turnover was forced because one of the Eagles receivers punched the ball in the air, leading to an easy interception. The Patriots defense forced one punt the entire game yesterday. They had no pass rush. They couldn't stop the Eagles offense at all. And despite all of this, despite everything the Eagles did right, despite having the best offensive game plan I've seen in years, despite converting on multiple fourth down opportunities and a trick gadget play that led to a touchdown in a field goal situation, the Patriots were still in it at the very end. They were still in this game because of a great coach and a great quarterback. But credit is where credit is due. The Philadelphia Eagles came in with the best game plan I have seen against the New England Patriots. And it almost reminded me of another Super Bowl, Super Bowl XXV, where you had a superior team, the Buffalo Bills. And it was ironic because of the ESPN 30 for 30 this week on the two Bills. It talked about how Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells devised a game plan to stop that K-Gun offense to stop the heavily favored Bills who, on paper, were clearly the best team. And oh, by the way, we're starting a backup quarterback, Jeff Hostetler. It was almost deja vu, except on this time, except on this night, it wasn't Bill Belichick with the backup quarterback. It was his opponent. Frank Wright led arguably the best comeback in NFL history when he overcame a halftime deficit in the playoffs against the Houston Oilers as a member of that Buffalo Bills team. He was the backup quarterback. He was on that sideline when Bill Belichick's defense slowed the mighty K-Gun and held Buffalo to 19 points. And yet, and yet, like this Super Bowl, the best team was one play away from winning the game despite the Giants having the perfect game plan and controlling the clock for over 40 minutes and holding the Bills to 19 points. The best team still had a shot. On this night, it was once again the team with the backup quarterback that made the big plays, that took risks and converted on them. And it was the team that realized that being the underdog meant that they had to pull out all the stops. They couldn't be afraid. They couldn't be intimidated. They had to do everything in their power and pull every trick out of their bag. And a lot of that comes from Doug Peterson. He put a game plan in where Foles felt comfortable in an offense where he's been successful before with Chip Kelly and put him in a position to win the game. And that's what the best coaches do. They adapt to their players and put them in the best position to win. And he beat the best coach in football, Bill Belichick. We have so much more coming up on this Super Bowl wrap-up. We're going to get to, of course, what happens now with Bill Belichick. All that and more coming up next on Rich Sports Talk. Talk. And once again, congratulations to the city of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Eagles 
experiencing their first Super Bowl title in the city's and franchise's history, and I feel so happy for that city getting their first Super Bowl championship because despite all four teams there and despite the love of all four sports, football is king there. Uh, from my own personal experience, uh, let me let me tell you a little bit about myself. When I was in college, my senior year, I was about an hour outside of the Philadelphian school. And I had the opportunity to actually intern, be a production internship for Sports Radio 94 WIP. They're the big sports station in the city of Philadelphia. And every single day in the fall, all we talked was Eagles. This was at a time when the Phillies were still a good baseball team. But the Eagles, every topic was fine topics about the Eagles. We have to interview Eagles fans where everything we did was Eagles, Eagles, Eagles. And you can tell by the way the people talked on the radio, what they would call in about. It was all the Eagles all the time. But you could just tell and feel it in the city. Everywhere you looked, everyone was wearing an Eagles jersey. Down Main Street, down the Main Street in Philadelphia, all the way down the town hall, it's... Unlike a lot of cities, there's one big main street that goes the entire length of the city, and every lamppost had Eagles banners. Everywhere was Eagles, and when they won in that city, coming in on a Monday morning, you could just feel the energy in that city. It was palpable. You could actually feel it in the air, how much that city has a passion for football. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. And seeing how much that fan base has invested in that franchise, it's great to see them finally get that long-coveted Super Bowl title. But going, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here, and we're going to talk about the Patriots and what this means for them. And before I get to Bill Belichick, I'm going to start with Malcolm Butler and what happened last night. Now, like a lot of you, I watched this game I don't think I left the couch at all. And one thing I noticed that was very interesting to me, and I didn't know it at the time, was was watching the National Anthem. And you could visibly see Malcolm Butler look like he was in tears. And my first thought was, wow, he's really emotional. He's one of those guys that must feel very patriotic. It must It must be very emotional. There are some players that tear up during the National Anthem. That's how much patriotism they're filled with and I thought it was just one of those moments and it was a beautiful edition of the national anthem but as the game progressed I, I was watching the game and first series comes out for the Eagles and I'm looking and you know first couple of plays I'm thinking to myself that seems odd uh Malcolm Butler's not out there and I'm thinking to myself well he, he does a lot of special teams maybe he got banged up maybe he's Nursing injury, he was battling an illness last week, maybe, and I saw him sitting on the sideline, I remember saying to myself, why, why is Malcolm Butler not out there? Now, to give you an idea of how valuable he was to this defense, he played in 98% of the snaps this season, the most of any Patriot defender, and he wasn't in the game. Now, the report came out during the game that he was benched for personal reasons, wasn't for an injury. And my first reaction was he had to miss a team meeting or he had to do something during the Super Bowl preparation week, late to a meeting. Maybe he was sleeping in a meeting. I just feel like as this week goes on, we're going to find out. And it did come out today that it was for disciplinary reasons. Now, it didn't say what the reasons were for the 
for the benching. But it was fascinating to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, that in this big game, Bill Belichick would sit arguably his best cornerback. And I understand the Patriots have a system. But sometimes in certain situations, I think coaches that have a great system and that are told how great they are, sometimes they might get blinded by a situation. I think this might have been one of the few instances where I think Bill Belichick as a coach had his blinders on because the Eagles were moving up and down the field on this defense. Nick Foles was having his way with that Patriots secondary. And I think for two big reasons. The first is obviously that one of their better corners isn't out there. But more, but this also leads to my second point. What is the key for a great secondary? It's communication. It's understanding your assignments. Now, if the Patriots had been practicing all week with Malcolm Butler in a certain spot in certain packages, think about this. Right before the game... They're told he's not going to be in there. So now they're moving corners around in positions that they don't necessarily know what their assignments are because they haven't been practicing in those positions. And it looked like that on a lot of passing plays. You saw a lot of miscommunications and blown coverages, which you normally don't see with that Patriots defense. And that was a problem they had early in the season, remember, with this passing defense. It looked like the communication was all off. But over the last eight weeks of the regular season and the postseason, the Patriots had good communications on the back end. They knew their roles. They know their assignments. And like they always said, they did their job. So I think taking Malcolm Butler out not only hurt him from a talent standpoint on that defense, but it hurt them from a communication standpoint because you had a lot of players out of position and not playing where they were expecting to play in this game. But when you see that your pass defense is getting lit up by Nick Foles and you can't stop this Eagles offense... I think you would have to say, you know what, I need to put Malcolm Butler in there. He helps with our pass defense. We're not getting a pass rush because the Patriots don't have a great pass rusher, and that's one of the best offensive lines in football. So you know you're not going to get a pass rush. So why are you leaving your secondary out to dry when you don't have one of your best corners on the field in terms of talent and matchups? But more importantly, from a communication standpoint, you've got players that have been practicing for two weeks in certain positions and certain schemes. Now they're in different spots. They weren't expecting to be there. And you could see it in the game, the miscommunication on that side. So I'm very interesting, and we'll keep you updated with what we found out more about this situation. But I was scratching my head, not only by the benching, and I get the benching, and I understand that he wants to be a disciplinarian. They have a system and a code they abide by. But... Once this game got into the second half and the game was really starting to pick up, I mean, you need to put your best players on the field. And I think the players see that too. Because think about it. They're trying to win their Super Bowl. And a lot of those guys, they've never won a Super Bowl in their life. This might be their only chance to ever win a Super Bowl. And their coach isn't putting their best player and their coaches and putting one of the most valuable members of that defense on the field in a game where they are absolutely getting torched in the passing game. It's almost like you're... It will be interesting because I do think the Patriots and their system, it's got plenty of cachet 
and it's got plenty of examples that it's going to work in the long run if Bill Belichick is there. But in this situation, in this game, I thought it was very short-sighted of Bill Belichick to keep Malcolm Butler on the sideline for the entire game. Now, it's going to be very interesting offseason regarding Bill Belichick. And for people that think he might, he's coming back, he is guaranteed to come back, history has shown that's not the case. I'm a huge movie fan, and especially the 30 for 30. And I know I've talked about this in this podcast and in my previous podcast was the special on 30 for 30, the two bills. And what you really see there is they have the same DNA. Belichick is more cerebral, but they are cut from the same cloth about how passionate they are about the football operations and how much pride they have in constructing teams. And each of them, it's amazing. When you really look at their history, that when an owner gets in the way or an owner does something to irk them, that they move on. And a lot of you I know are saying, oh, come on. that That's not true. They, 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 he's not leaving. Bill Belichick won't leave. Well, there's been signs this season, but it's happened before. Now, let's take a little trip down memory lane. Let's start with Bill Parcells. We look back at his career. Why did he initially leave New England? It was because Robert Kraft was getting into the football operations. I mean, you remember the famous line? When Bill Bell, you remember the famous line when Bill Parcells said, if they want you to cook the dinner, the least they can do is let you shop for some of the groceries. What did he do? He left the Patriots because he didn't like Robert Kraft meddling with him. With the Dallas Cowboys, it was working very well as the director of personnel. What happened? Jerry Jones wanted to get more into the personnel, to which Bill Parcells said, I'm out of here. And Bill Belichick has done this as well. Let's look back at his history with owners. He's had three different owners. He's had multiple as a head coach. He's had three owners as a head coach. His first owner was Art Modell. Bill Belichick was building a winning team in Cleveland. He was starting off the 1995 season. They were 3-1. and one. And four weeks into the season, Art Modell announces... The team is moving to Cleveland, which throws a bombshell into their season. And basically, the team and the city's in disarray. The fan base is turning on the team. There were stories about that there were bomb threats daily at the practice facility. So they had to evacuate the practice facility in Cleveland. This was in 1995. So he's used to a wacko owner in... So he's dealt with an owner that moved a team... And took away, so he's used to an owner that not only moved the team in the middle of the season and disrupted the entire season, but then fired him at the end of that year. He goes to the New York Jets. Then we look at the New York Jets. They originally hire him to be the head coach until Bill Parcells is available. And then shortly later, Bill Parcells becomes the head coach. Then Bill Parcells decides that Bill Belichick is going to be the head coach. But Bill Belichick was unsure because of what happened in Cleveland. He wanted an owner he could trust. He trusted Hess as an owner, but Hess had passed away the season before. And the two owners it came down to 
was James Dolan, who is arguably one of the worst owners in sports, and Woody Johnson, an owner who Bill Belichick wasn't exactly sure about. And because he wasn't sure about the support of ownership, he decided to resign as the head coach of the New York Jets. Now we go to Foxborough. For two decades, Bill Belichick would not promote any of his assistants to be head coaches. Wouldn't promote any of them. But what happens this year? His 40-year-old quarterback and owner together decide he's going to be the quarterback for the next five years despite Bill Belichick developing a young franchise quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo and the owner tells him to trade him away. Think about this. Bill Belichick has been the smartest personnel person in the NFL for nearly two decades. And you're telling me that he gets fleeced twice this year, trading quarterbacks the most valuable commodity in the NFL. He only gets a second-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo when multiple teams are offering first-round picks for him? That doesn't make sense. And they changed Jacoby Brissett, who I feel could be a capable starting quarterback in this league, for a bust-wide receiver in Philip Dorsett. It just didn't make any sense. This is a guy who has four quarterbacks on a 53-man roster sometimes, drafts a quarterback every year because he knows the value of the position, and he just gives two away. And then on top of that, his two assistants, and Bill hates moving on from assistants. He wants to have a staff that he understands, knows, and trusts. And not only is he going to lose his offensive coordinator, he's losing his defensive coordinator, And he's the one that's been promoting them for head coaching jobs. He's the one pushing, saying, hey, come in and hire and talk to my guys. He never does that. The Patriots are the CIA of the NFL. They don't exchange information, and they don't go outside the Patriot organization. Then all of a sudden, Bill Belichick is inviting everyone in to talk to his coordinators. What? Now, I do think it will be interesting because if they won the Super Bowl, I think it's more certain that Belichick could leave having six Super Bowl titles. I think it would have been a little bit easier to ride off into the sunset. It might be interesting now. Does he come back because of unfinished business? Because he didn't finish on top. Didn't get the championship ring to go out on top to. But for everyone that thinks it's a foregone conclusion, he's coming back next season. And if you look at the two coaches... Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick are very similar. They're football guys, they understand personnel, and they understand the game. But the one thing they cannot stand is people telling them how to do their job. And more specifically, owners who are not football people, who haven't worked in the profession, and who don't understand the day-to-day operations, telling them what to do with personnel. Because they know what to do with personnel, and they don't like owners meddling. Bill Parcells has done it on multiple occasions. When owners have dinged them, or owners have gotten in the way, he's decided to move on. Bill Belichick has gone through two owners already. He's gone through an owner that moved his team in the middle of the season, and basically threw a grenade into what was a promising playoff run for the Cleveland Browns in an organization that he had built from the ground up. Then he goes to the Jets, 
where he's the head coach, then he's not the head coach, and whose owners were in flux, and two owners that he didn't really trust. And now, despite winning five Super Bowls for Robert Kraft and putting the Patriots as one of the most valuable franchises in the world, Robert Kraft decided after two decades to side with a 40-year-old quarterback who will be 41 next season instead of the coach that has built the dynasty. We already know that Tom Brady will be back, and he has said he wants to play to 45, but we know he will be back for at least next season. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion with Belichick, because he is a guy who's a very proud man, and he is a coach that like him or hate him, and for 20 and for nearly 20 years, no one got in his way. And at the end of it, it could be an owner that decided to stay with an aging quarterback instead of allowing Bill Belichick to go to another franchise quarterback for potentially the next 10 to 15 years for the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick is the smartest man in football. I find it a hard time to believe that in one year, he has made baffling moves without a purpose. Everything he has done in his entire career has had purpose. He's always two steps ahead of the game. He understands the way players are developing, and he understands the way the league is going. And like I said earlier in this podcast, it's about adapting. And no one has been better adapting in football than Bill Belichick for two decades as the head coach of the New England Patriots. You can't tell me that in one season, he has traded away the succession plan for the New England Patriots a quarterback for practically nothing, has a backup now in Brian Hoyard behind Tom Brady, who will be 41 next season, and has taken his trusted defensive and offensive coordinator, who know his system better than anyone else, and has decided to push for them to get head coaching jobs elsewhere. That he will come into next season without a backup quarterback for Tom Brady and a future quarterback for the Patriot franchise. But more importantly, he will come in not only with a new offensive coordinator, but a new defensive coordinator as well. Belichick is like Parcells. He knows the value of great assistants. That's why he never wants them to leave. Because he doesn't want new assistants. He wants his guys. And now you're telling me he has pushed two out the door and will have to get a new offensive and defensive coordinator up to speed and find an offensive coordinator that will work with Tom Brady. McDaniels and Brady have a great relationship. A new offensive coordinator coming in will have to deal with an aging Tom Brady who will want to run the show. And I like Tom. I think Tom can still be very successful and play at an MVP-type level next season. But it will be a transition, and it may not go as smoothly as people think. So in my humble opinion, I'm very interested to see what happens to Bill Belichick, and until he definitively says he is coming back for next season, there is a chance I don't think he will be back in New England. And if he were to retire, in my opinion, he is the greatest coach in NFL history. You have to sometimes read between the lines. I was taught at a very young age that actions are louder than words. People can say things that they don't mean, But when they do actions, they do it with a purpose. It's done to get a certain result and have a certain outcome. 
a man who everything he has done with a purpose, all of a sudden, seems to do anything without a lot of thought. It'll be interesting to see what Bill Belichick does next. But coming back to the New England Patriots for next season isn't set in stone. That's going to do it for this episode. We'll focus later on this week. We'll talk the NBA and the big storylines coming out of the National Basketball Association. Pitchers and catchers just around the corner. Lots of great action coming to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Had a lot of fun covering this Super Bowl. It was definitely a blast. And once again, congratulations to the city of Philadelphia and the Eagles for winning the Super Bowl. Great performance by Nick Foles and that franchise. And this is a team that you look at that young roster and the pieces they have. It's scary. They're going to be stacked for the next few years. And if things break right, we could see another championship parade. And if things break right, we can definitely see another championship parade down Broad Street very soon. Just remember, if you'd like to get on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you, our fans. You can email us, as always, to richsportstalk at gmail.com. That's richsportstalk at gmail.com. And follow our Facebook page, Rich Sports Talk. And, of course, we'll be always broadcasting our episodes that are available on SoundCloud. That's going to do it for this episode of Rich Sports Talk. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, have a great day.